Welcome to Order from Ashes, Century International's podcast. This is an episode of Broken Bonds, the existential crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood from 2013 to 2022. Uh, this is our uh, fourth out of five episodes. I'm talking to Abdurrahman Ayash, and today we're going to be talking about the second uh, of the three crises that uh, is uh, facing Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, uh, the legitimacy crisis. Ayash, thanks uh, for joining us on uh, Order from Ashes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So on on earlier podcasts uh, in the Broken Bond series, we heard uh, your story uh, of uh, of your your sort of upbringing and awakening. Uh, we heard you and your co-authors from the book Broken Bonds uh, in the second episode talking about uh, your uh, view on on what is the significance of of the trajectory of the Brotherhood and and why we need to update the way uh, we study and think about it as researchers, as policymakers, and in general as observers of the Brotherhood. Uh, and then we heard from one of your co-authors on the last episode uh, about the identity crisis. Uh, so today uh, we're talking to you about the legitimacy crisis. Um, why don't you start off by telling us really, like, what do you mean uh, by a legitimacy crisis? Right. So legitimacy in the Muslim Brotherhood or the legitimacy of the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood, it historically stemmed out of different uh, notions or, or different factors uh, participated in the legitimacy of, of the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood. One of them was the companionship with Hassan al-Banna or uh, the, the, the founding moments of, of, of the Muslim Brotherhood. So the leaders up until Mahdi Akif, the uh, <clears throat> uh, sixth uh, uh, general guide of the movement uh, who uh, stepped down from the leadership in, 2000, in early 2010, late 2009, he uh, he was a companion to Hassan al-Banna. He was uh, a close uh, associate with Hassan al-Banna. Uh, after that, the the legitimacy was stemming of uh, or out of of the the what, what we can call the ordeal that the Muslim Brotherhood members or leaders went through. Lengthy periods of imprisonment, torture, uh, diaspora, people had to leave their jobs, had to leave their families. So this actually factors in uh, the legitimacy of the leadership. So, so wait, just l- let me just let me just restate those things uh, crisply, uh, so I make sure uh, we understand. So, at first, leg- the legitimacy of the leadership stems from leaders having been associated with the group's founder. So the first generation of leaders going on for many decades could claim that they were hanging out with the founder in the 20s and 1920s and 1930s, and that was their legitimacy source. And then after uh, the, the the that peer group of Hassan al-Banna, the founder of the Brotherhood, uh, sort of aged out or, or died out uh, uh, from leadership, uh, you say the legitimacy of leaders stemmed from having suffered under the crackdowns by the Egyptian government. And I presume you're talking about Nasser's crackdown uh, uh, and its aftermath in the in the uh, late 50s and, and 1960s. Is that right? Right, right. And and thirdly, 
the 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 legitimacy of the leaders came from elections or institutional uh, uh, promotion uh, in, inside the movement and this happened after what we can call uh, the second constitution of the muslim brotherhood or the second formation of the muslim brotherhood that took pl- uh, place b- between mid 70s to early 90s and uh, and yeah the, uh, and up until the revolution and after it after after the revolution yeah most of of the young what they called young leaders the Muslim Brotherhood were members or were uh, uh, leaders who uh, joined the movement in the 70s, late 60s, including, for example, Khairat Shatter uh, uh, and, and other people, Mahmoud Azad, for example, and, and some other. The, the, there will be many names here, but yeah, Mahmoud Azad and some other leaders, yeah, they were part of the ordeal generation. Uh, the ones who were uh, imprisoned during uh, the 60s and even late 50s. Uh, but what happened that with the failure of, of, of the Muslim Brotherhood to run the country and uh, the failure of, of President Morsi, late President Morsi, to, uh, to gather the people around him, to gather at least a majority of, of people around him, um, the, the, the Brotherhood... Uh, People, the the supporters, the the members, the uh, sympathizers, all of them, they started to question the legitimacy of the leaders, and the absence of of, of the leaders after the military coup by death, arrest, or or, or even leaving Egypt. And some of them decided also not to take part in leadership. Very few of them decided not to take part of, of any leadership positions anymore. <sighs> They, the, the 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 base of the movement started to question that, and they the the they started to ask for new leaders. And after the 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 coup, the 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 leadership started to formulate, and it was around a very different legitimacy than what we knew before. And this is what we are trying to detail in in this chapter is that how the, the leadership uh, is now formulating inside the movement uh, and around what. And the main point that I want to say is that the, 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 the effectiveness of the leader or if he's able to deliver, you know, I think th- this is what is w- w- what's making leaders now inside the Muslim Brotherhood. And, and I'm not talking about... Uh, people who are uh, in their 40s, 50s, or, or older, uh, only. I'm, I'm, I'm talking also about the very young people in their 20s and their, uh, very early 30s who were on the ground after the military coup and who are imprisoned right now. These are the people who uh, uh, are leading the, the movement in a way. Is Is there a legitimacy, again, based on sort of ordeal on on what they're suffering or is it is it based on something else uh that that has more connection with their ability to uh persuade mobilize uh problem solve uh with with their um with their fellows yeah so uh, of course i think what we will be seeing in the future will be uh, a legitimacy built on the ordeal 
maybe after the people get out of uh, after the people get out of prison after the muslim brotherhood uh, members gets gets out of prisons yeah of course it will be built on the ordeal but right now i think it's built on the, the effectiveness some people are saying that and i i heard from from uh, muslim brotherhood mid uh, ranking leader saying that maybe uh, the the one who should be leading the muslim brotherhood is the one who lost uh, a son or or a daughter and and and, and a protest for example who, or who spent uh, uh, such and such years in, in in prison some people are still thinking about that but i i think the, the the crisis or what makes it a crisis is the the complexity of these uh, sacrifices i'd say so yeah the people in prison they have been uh, paying the, the dearest price but people outside Egypt or members of the Muslim Brotherhood outside Egypt have been also going through very difficult times themselves so the ordeal narrative I'm not sure if it will be strong enough to build legitimacies or, or if it's not strong enough now uh, or if it's strong enough now to build legitimacies but the 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 notion about effectiveness and and also the failures that took place yeah i think that that's what concerns most of the muslim brotherhood members right now people now are trying to vote those to vote out at least those who uh, have not been able to change the situation or to even provide a strategy to to, okay. to counter the government okay so let let, let's 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 get get into some of the details because you've done some some fascinating work like fleshing out the stories of these debates. Um, first, though, I want to ask: How do members of the Brotherhood in in the current situation, where so many of them are are in exile or in prison, how do they vote on uh, on who's going to be on the leadership committee? Yeah. So the organization is still intact in many ways. So, for example, in prisons. The, in each prison in Egypt right now, there is the organization, the, the, the Muslim Brotherhood organization and the hierarchy and everything. And, and people there are uh, participating in, in communal activities and, and also in some organizational activities, including taking votes for decisions or uh, to choose at least the leadership uh, of, of the prisons. Because in each prison, there is uh, 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 one who is responsible for, for the Muslim Brotherhood members there. And it's not only useful for the Muslim Brotherhood to have a leader inside, and of course they, they do it the best just to build the organization from nothing, but it's very useful also for the state, for the for, for the regime, for the government itself, as they have only a point of contact, one point of contact to, to reach out to, to calm everyone in prison or to uh, to threat to threaten everyone in, in prison. And they do this also very effectively. But um, and and uh, outside Egypt, uh, yeah, the the, the 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 organization has been having uh, uh, a, a big problem in and uh, and these electoral mechanisms or internal uh, mechanisms of of choosing the leaders, and this is not because of the lack of, uh, of the organizational structure in a way, but uh, because of the uh, battling leaders or or the uh, warring leaders, if I would say, uh, who 
each of them assume uh, uh, leadership to uh, to himself. So, so these are uh, com- on- com- competing mm-hmm. camps of exiles. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Competing camps of exiles that are both uh, laying pretense uh, to being the leaders of, of the Brotherhood. And this is separate from the leaders that are emerging within the Egyptian prison system. Right, right. And, and not only the prison, the Egyptian prison system. So after the, the, the military coup, the, the Muslim Brotherhood members... They they were still outside uh, prisons. I mean, most of the uh, Muslim Brotherhood members were not in Rabah. The uh, Rabah maybe it contained I don't know like fifty sixty thousand people. Uh, the the Muslim Brotherhood actual numbers are much higher than that. And uh, and so the, the the people in prisons they are not the only uh, members or the only active members of the Muslim Brotherhood right now. There are of course members of the Muslim Brotherhood who are still in Egypt and who. Are, who have been active after after the the military coup? Uh, the the thing about these members and leaders is that they are the ones who propose new strategies to uh, the government and who, who are also responsible for taking care of the families. So organically speaking, these members and leaders had the upper hand in taking decisions and in. Um, uh, deciding for for the whole movement and and especially with the absence of other leaders including for example the the top ranking uh, leader Mahmoud Azad who is the the deputy uh, general guide of the Muslim Brotherhood and and with the with the arrest of Muhammad Badia the general guide of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, Azad be, became the de facto leader he disappeared very early after Rabah very early in, in the summer of 2013 and the, the the leaders on the ground they assumed power or they 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 were the de facto leaders they they were the ones taking the decisions talking to uh, brotherhood members around the the country and also being in touch with the with the with the muslim brotherhood outside egypt so the, the, this was the, the the first or the the beginning of of the the legitimacy crisis if we can call it like that so the, the, it started with the, the present leaders assuming uh, leadership, just doing their uh, rule. So they, they, they had to make decisions or to take decisions that the historical leaders of, of the movement so against the, 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 the group or against the movement's ideology or, or, or against the movement itself. And when this happened, the absent leaders started to emerge again, or they re-emerged from their hide, and they started to issue statements and to promote other leaders and to uh, provide uh, leaders outside Egypt with uh, legitimacy to assume leadership. So... That's that's inside Egypt, and and the the decisions we are talking about here are decisions that affected the movement for, of course, for the past ten years, but it also will affect the the movement's trajectory maybe for many years to come. The the, uh, the leaders on the ground, uh, someone like Mohammed Kamal, for example, and and some other leaders who left Egypt, like Ali Batih, for example, they made decisions. 
that include uh, uh, a very uh, calmer policy or a very uh, easy policy on, on the use of violence inside the movement. And uh, this was a very dangerous precedent in, in, uh, in, in, in the movement's uh, history uh, for leaders with this uh, for for leaders on the I mean top tier leaders to take such decisions. Well, we'll uh, we'll take a short break. I'm Thanasi Kambanis talking to Abdurrahman Ayash uh, as part of our Broken Bond series about Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, we're talking today about the legitimacy crisis. We'll be right back. Today's world is changing faster than ever. Old rules don't apply, and the new rules haven't been written. At least not yet. I'm Rohan Advani, and I produce the Order from Ashes podcast at the Century Foundation, a leading progressive think tank that promotes peace, cooperation, and equality at home and abroad. On Order from Ashes, we try to make sense of a new international system in which America no longer dictates the global order. Join us as we talk to activists and analysts on the front lines of the most pressing issues in international policy. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to Order from Ashes. I'm talking to Abdurrahman Ayash about the legitimacy crisis in the Muslim Brotherhood as part of our Broken Bond series on the uh, existential crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood from 2013 to 2022. Right before the break, uh, Ayash, uh, we were starting to talk about the the way in which leaders of the Brotherhood after 2013 uh, took what you called uh, characterized as a sort of easy position. I think you meant you 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 mean like a permissive uh, uh, view on the use of violence. Um, and uh, and I want to hear a little bit more about that. what what exactly was the debate inside the Brotherhood after 2013 uh, about the use of violence? Um, and how did it play out? Uh, how did we like what what was the arc? Uh, uh, because as I understand from from your from your your research, there was a period where there was a sort of more permissive view towards it, and then at some point it reined back in and went back to the Brotherhood's traditional, uh, more uh, sort of restrained and conservative position of uh, of not uh, not approving of or or embracing uh, the, the use of violence by by its members. Right, right. So I I, I think, and based of, uh, on on many interviews actually that I had with with former leaders and current leaders and members of the Muslim Brotherhood, that I, I could articulate the debate that was going on is around the priority of the organization versus the priority of the revolution. So which one should have the, the 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 priority the organization or the revolution and the, the the muslim brotherhood leaders on the ground at the time and again many of of the historical leaders were either in prison or absent in in, in hiding the, the 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 present leaders they uh, decided to not only address the the, uh, the issue of of, uh, of security killing members of the Muslim Brotherhood on daily basis and protests and uh, and uh, uh, I mean in the streets people were being killed in the streets on daily basis from the Muslim Brotherhood and of course the Muslim Brotherhood members especially in uh, different uh, governorates and in, uh, in in countryside and 
يعني in a place like Mansoura for example three girls died were killed actually by uh, security uh, members or uh, what we call Baltagaya or, or the the, uh, the thugs that are supported by, uh, by by the government they killed three girls uh, in the first week of, of the military coup and uh, and and so so for the Muslim Brotherhood members they needed to react and and this is exactly what Ibrahim Munir, the late leader of the Muslim Brotherhood who just died uh, at the beginning of November, told us, told me and, and my colleague Amr uh, about, about the, the, the reaction of the Muslim Brotherhood at the time. It was a normal reaction, he said. It was people saw their beloved or their loved ones being killed in the streets and they didn't know what to do. There were no other choices for them. Uh, there is no political space uh they cannot protest even and they 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 saw everyone turning against them and of course with the absence of the leaders who may be able to calm them down or to give them directions somehow yeah so people started to act on their own what happened later is that the 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 leadership uh the the present leadership of the muslim brotherhood they listened to what the members on the grounds were saying. They, they, they wanted to react. And some of them said, let's see how it goes. So they first approved what they called or the creative peacefulness. And it means that anything below blood is, and I'm trying to literally translate from Arabic, so everything below blood is permissible. So everything that includes, for example, uh, torching police cars or, or uh, hitting electricity uh, uh, institutions or, or, I don't know, uh, like uh, uh, attacking uh, buildings. So, so this is basically a, pol- a policy of limited violence is how I would describe yes, that, yes. right? So they're, they're saying yeah. like, you know, violence is permissible as long as you're not shedding blood, as long as you're not going so far as killing people. But of course, this is delicate because once you start setting fire to things, uh, for example, you don't know <laughs> who might get hurt. Yeah, I, I, and this is what happened. And, and especially with the, uh, with, with, the, with the rising crackdown or the co- continuing crackdown against the Brotherhood, yeah, they started thinking about some, again, effective uh, tools to to uh, to work against or to to uh, to counter the, uh, the 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 government or to oppose the government, and uh, they started attacking or or and and, and actually th- th- this is a very confusing part for for anyone inside the Muslim Brotherhood or outside. People are not completely sure whether the first attack took place. Uh, I mean, the first attack against the police, for example, took place with the permission from uh, a Muslim Brotherhood mid-leader or maybe uh, top leader or not. Because, yeah, it, it, it's, it's plausible that it happened as a reaction uh, from someone on, on the ground. But either way, yeah, the, the, the Brotherhood leaders at some point, they started fa- founding committees. Uh, these committees, it was believed that uh, they were helping the protests. They were uh, uh, securing the protesters. But 
their rules started to uh, get wider and wider and they started to um, to act against uh, or to, to, to kill people simply and uh, they they did uh, kill several people I mean uh, the of course no one would uh, say that uh, this group or that group killed someone but yeah it's it's known that some uh, former members of the Muslim Brotherhood or, or young members of the Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood participated in in, uh, in in attacks that resulted in, in killing people. And this is when the historical leader of the Muslim Brotherhood started to, uh, to, to, to intervene. So they, uh, some leaders, uh, Mahmoud Ouzlan and Abdurrahman al-Bar, started to issue statements saying that the use of violence is totally unacceptable and and that unacceptable and and that the, the Muslim Brotherhood will not be endorsing violence, no matter what and, and no matter how. And and the the uh, the the other leaders started saying that, or the 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 the, the present leaders including Kamal, for example, they started uh, saying that this is not a battle over violence or peacefulness. It was a battle over legitimacy of leadership. And, of course, outside Egypt, it was the same debate. People saying that it's violent against peacefulness and and that the, the, the leaders' positions here, um, it's, 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 it was for them a battle of, of ideology or, or strategy, and for others the battle was just for leadership uh, and who should be the leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood. We're and we're 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 about to wrap up uh, this uh, this episode. Um, so, sort of as, in closing, I um, mean, the, the way I read this study that you've produced. Uh, when, when, when you're talking about this legitimacy crisis, what I understand is, uh, uh, essentially you all are making the argument that the brotherhood's leadership, uh, is, is really suffering from a major deficit in legitimacy and a crisis in legitimacy, uh, in large part because of fragmentation. Um, so one axis is the one you were just talking about, uh, you know, the sort of fragmentation that, that evolved, over uh, the course of the debate about violence and also who's inside the country and outside, um, and there's a second one which we, which you write about a lot in the in the book, which we didn't talk about too much today, which was the sort of contest uh, largely over resources and member and, and control uh, between these rival exile camps in uh, uh, in, in in Britain and or sorry in London and, and Istanbul, um, and so sort of in your in your uh, when you look at like where the, the organization's uh, leadership and its legitimacy is today. W- would you say that it's like uh, par- like paralyzed by this kind of fragmentation? Like how would you characterize the state of the legitimacy of, of the organization's leadership at this moment in time? So, yeah, of course, uh, fragmentation is a major part of, of uh, the, the current crisis of legitimacy inside the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and, and the crisis actually is still ongoing. And of course, there were some developments, recent developments, with the death of Ibrahim Munir, uh, the, the, the general guide of the Muslim Brotherhood, or the acting general guide of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in London. Um, but what's happening right now is that 
the faction of Ibrahim Munir, which was confined only to London until maybe 2016. The faction of Ibrahim Munir is now getting the, 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 the most of the support inside the movement. And there is another faction in Istanbul led by Mahmoud Hussein, a former uh, uh, associate or a former uh, ally to, to Ibrahim Munir. Mahmoud Hussein in Istanbul is trying to assume the, the leadership for himself. And it seems that the, 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 the Brotherhood is going to choose someone as a leader who has not been involved in all of these debates and all of these wars, internal wars, uh, over over leadership. And some people are saying that he will be someone who had the 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 legitimacy or the uh, the classic or the classical uh, uh, sources of legitimacy, like the ordeal, for example. So he might be someone who spent some time with say in prison in the 60s, for for example, and uh, and and he he might be uh, uh, someone who yeah again who who would be um, a more spiritual leader than than a political one. And I think this is what the Muslim Brotherhood is trying to do right now. Although it might be a very I I, I think it's it's a very wrong idea to 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 get a leader who's not a political leader but i think what they are going for right now is to get a leader from the the upbringing section inside the muslim brotherhood who are again spiritual uh, religious and who could have the legitimacy of the ordeal but that's a, the the ordeal from a generation ago as opposed to the ordeal exactly. that is ongoing right exactly. now from 2013 um and i think that like we'll, we'll end on that point that uh you're you're really painting a picture of an organization whose leadership is uh increasingly in multiple ways out of sync with and out of tune with it the experiences and interests of its membership right so this is a you know, kind of elite membership organization. Its members are undergoing unprecedented repression. Tens of thousands of them are in exile or in jail. So many have been killed. And the leaders are meanwhile either fighting over resources or fighting over these kind of almost abstract uh, questions. And then they're invoking their legitimacy, not in the shared experience of post-2013, but in this almost notional, almost theoretical legitimacy that comes from like, you know, something that happened in, in your grandparents' generation. Yeah, you're right. And and the, 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 for me, I believe that the Muslim Brotherhood is going to struggle from this legitimacy crisis for uh, for a very long time to come. Uh, although it seems that the leadership or the current leaders, uh, especially on Ibrahim Munir's faction, they are assuming the real power right now. They are getting more resources and they are getting the, the, the support of most members in, uh, inside Egypt and outside Egypt. Uh, but the, the rooted reasons for this crisis is still there. And unless the Muslim Brotherhood treats these underlying causes of the legitimacy crisis, yeah, the Muslim Brotherhood will not be able to come back again as, as a strong organization or as uh, a strong political actor. Thank you, Ayash. And I mean, this is a, a running theme of, of this 
work in broken bonds, which is that the very same factors that uh, make the Muslim Brotherhood a persistent and important uh, force are also the factors that limit its ability to learn and adapt uh, and and function as a more effective organization. Uh, we'll leave it uh, here uh, for now, and then uh, we have one uh, more episode uh, next on uh, the next episode of Order from Ashes. I'll be talking to Ahmed El Afifi about the membership crisis uh, and the sort of way forward uh, for the Muslim Brotherhood and the implications for policy of all these. Uh, things we've been discussing on the Broken Bonds series. You can read the book, Broken Bonds, uh, The Existential Crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, 2013-2022. You can find ways to order the book or read it on the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You've been listening to Order from Ashes uh, with uh, Abdurrahman Ayash. Uh, Ayash, thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Tennessee, for having me, and thanks for supporting our project. The Order from Ashes podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security, and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical, and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.